Amish Star, Pine Tree, Miller's Daughter. We're all about quilts and their arresting patterns in Free Martintown. Every small country store has racks of notions with as many different colors of thread as kinds of jello in the next aisle. Main Street is filled with quilt and fabric shops, and during our downtown revitalization a few years ago, we even put multicolored concrete quilts into the sidewalks outside the businesses. Lend and borrow in front of the first Flatlander Bank, flower basket in front of the gift shop, carpenter's wheel in front of the hardware store, where you can get a new fiberglass handle for your hoe, stronger than wood, and while you wait, a COVID vaccine. Basket of lilies in front of the funeral home, in case you forget to get your shot. An Amish diamond concrete quilt is embedded in front of the other Hillendale Bank, where farmers can walk through the doors with mud on their boots and women set up their quilting frames on Friday in front of the popcorn machine. We just completed the Free Martin Town Amish Quilt Show held in the local high school. A few years ago, we realized we were getting low on students. So Free Martin Town and Bull Town merged into the Free Bull Consolidated Schools. The Free Bull Gym is shiny, wide, and open. And every year, Eli Gingerich strings his homemade rope across the court from basketball hoop to basketball hoop, where the Amish women hang up their masterpieces for sale. Double wedding ring, Dresden plate, and log cabin. The doors open at 9 a.m., with English from all over the United States pressing in to view the quilts that the Amish women have produced over the winter. With a cup of coffee in one hand and a powdered donut in the other, the English stroll down the aisle, eyeing the quilts as if they were viewing paintings at the Metropolitan Museum. The English will pay top dollar for these works of art, and some of the quilts may just end up in museums around the country. The money, of course, doesn't go to the quilters, but to Mennonite relief work throughout the world, drilling wells in Haiti or bringing medical supplies to war-torn areas of Afghanistan. Not too many years ago, the Amish never sold their quilts. Instead, women made them to keep their families warm on cold winter nights. On Sundays, when church was held in a home, women spread their most beautiful quilts on their beds, where the guests placed their hats, shawls, and bonnets. At first, Amish quilts were made from scraps left over from sewing projects. Women patched together pieces from a man's black jacket or snippets from a purple dress. Bits of green and maroon trimmed from children's clothes might also find their way into the project. With time, the quilts and patterns became more elaborate, with Amish women pouring their creative talents, their beliefs, emotions, and events from their lives into their designs. The quilters weren't influenced by radio, television, or magazines, just their own imaginations and impulses. Artistic expression on a practical bed covering was acceptable within a culture that thought traditional artwork only brought egotism. 
But then you didn't want to overdo it either. There's the story of Sarah Yoder, who grew up with her family in town, her father the local harness maker. The train whistled along right behind their house. During the Depression, men rode the rails and communicated through signs and symbols drawn on the sides of houses and buildings. An X in a circle meant a good place for a handout. A stick figure of a cat meant kind lady lives here. Well, Sarah's mother was a kind lady and could always scramble up some eggs for a hungry man who might come along and mow her lawn. And later in her old age, Sarah remembered those depression days when she couldn't remember what she had done that morning. Soon her quilts filled with appliqued stick figures of cats until the bishop paid her a visit to tell her he thought hobo symbols weren't really within the Amish tradition. Maybe you could work on some designs of bluebirds or something, the bishop said. The three layers of the quilt, the top design, the middle batting, and the plain bottom, are placed in a frame to hold them taut. Then women gather at each other's houses to quilt together the layers with tiny, perfectly formed hand stitches. Quilting bees are social events where news and gossip are shared, and young girls learn the craft from watching their mothers, aunts, and grandmothers at work. Once I was invited by Fanny, one of my Amish neighbors, to a come-as-you-are quilting bee. Star of Bethlehem. I sat in front of a huge quilt, needle and thread in my hand. I'd arrived a little early for the party. Fanny had sent a Mennonite driver in a van to pick up the eight other women, and I imagined them caught in various stages of surprise, in their aprons just about to sit down to supper, or perhaps even in their nightgowns getting ready for an early evening. Yet the door is open, and in came the quilters, all in freshly washed and pressed uniform dresses, their black bonnets on their heads. Without greeting or chit-chat, they took off their wraps, then filed into the sitting room, assuming their places around the quilting frame. Needles were threaded, thimbles pressed onto their fingers, and soon the quilting commenced. The women bent over the frame, heads down, wrists cocked, the needle dipping down into the batting three times before the thread pulled its way through the blue cotton cloth. Fanny's teenage daughter, Lydia, reached up and refilled the kerosene lamp that hung from the hook overhead, smiled at me and said, you can go ahead and try if you want. I'm afraid I'll mess it up, I said. Well, that's okay, Lydia said. Haven't you ever quilted before? One of the women asked. I could imagine how strange this must have seemed to the Amish. At the farm down the road from me, I'd seen four- and five-year-old neighbor girls learning to quilt from their grandmothers and aunts. Their hair and braids, their faces wide with smiles. They ran up to me to show off their samplers of perfectly made stitches. Try as I might, my stitches were anything but perfect. I got the hang of the wrist action, and Lydia showed me how to pop the thread through the cloth so it wouldn't show. But when I looked down, my stitches were twice as long as hers. Thread, please, my neighbor to my right, 
who stated she'd made 15 quarts of hominy that day, said, I noticed that she had already made her way around one whole flower in the design. I was slowly making my way up the stem. Wiggle, Fanny said, and then, as if it were a choreographed ballet, the women on each end of the frame rose in unison and undid the clamps, rolling the quilt underneath the frame. For the next two hours, the women never looked up, never stopped to stretch, their energy devotional and upbeat, driving forward, their conversations spotlighting one, then another, their hands moving in deep muscle memory, their fingers so many beautifully executed steps across the stage. At 9.30, the inner music stopped. We stepped into the kitchen, leaning our backs against the counter and saying, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and sat down to a snack of ice cream and cinnamon rolls. When I drove out into the night, with my car squeezed full of Amish women to return to their homes, I waved back at Lydia, knowing full well that she would soon return to the quilt and rip out all my stitches. In the old days, at the end of a quilting bee, a young woman might have a bow appear to see her home. And here are the silver trailer girls, Monica Leo, Alita Murphy, and Laura Hudson Kittrell to capture that scene singing Seeing Nellie Home from Aunt Dinah's Quilting Party. In the sky, the bright stars glittered. On the bank, the pale moon shone. It was from Aunt Dinah's quilting party he was seeing Nellie. Today, back by popular demand, I have Ruby, the gross mommy, in the studio with us with a new recipe. What do you call this one, Ruby? 
Today I'm going to tell you how to make my postage stamp quilt salad. Oh, wow. What does this salad have in it? Sounds like all sorts of vegetables. Now, the salad has one ingredient, jello. Oh, okay. So just jello? Just jello. Oh, I suppose you could put some marshmallows in it, but in my opinion, that would spoil the whole thing. The salad looks like a quilt. You make the jello into a postage stamp quilt pieces. All right, so how do we begin, Ruby? Haven't you ever made jello? Well, no, I kind of missed that one. Goodness, how old are you? All you have to do is read the directions on the box. All right, so first you want to get two cake pans. Got them. Okay, so spray the pans with a little nonstick oil. In a bowl, mix together the two boxes of grape jello and one box of green. We're making the bottom black layer of the quilt. If the color isn't black enough, you can always dump some food coloring in. Black food coloring, Ruby? Do they make such a thing? Oh, sometimes you can find it. If not, just throw any old dark color in there. All colors mixed together make black. All right, what's next? Add the gelatin, then make sure everything is mixed together. Pour in into the pan and put in the refrigerator for about 15 minutes. Oh wait, pardon me for interrupting Ruby, but I want to stop you right there. I know a lot of our English listeners are going to ask, how do the Amish have refrigerators when they don't have electricity? Ah, uh, and do we get tired of that? All right, let's just get this straight. We don't have electricity. That is correct. What we do have is gas-powered refrigerators. Same as you have in those big, wasteful RVs you drive down the road. Now, next you're going to ask me if I brush my teeth. Or do I have a bathroom in the house? Now, now, Ruby, Ruby, let's get back to the recipe. What happens next? In another bowl, stir together a 14-ounce can of sweetened condensed milk and one cup of boiling water. In a separate bowl, sprinkle two envelopes of unflavored gelatin over a half cup of cold water. Stir it up. Let that sit for five minutes. Now, don't get in a rush. If there's anything tricky about this recipe, it's being in too much of a hurry. Right, got it, got it. Then add a half cup of boiling water to the unsweetened gelatin. Then dump the whole thing in with the condensed milk. Once the black layer is set, pour the white layer over it and refrigerate again. 
the white layer is going to be your quilt batting. Hey, clever, clever. Wait, it gets better. Next, make other layers in various colors and pour them into some small pans. Well, wait, wait, this is getting vague. What colors? That's up to you. Then just, just, just give me some suggestions. Oh, Amish colors, blacks and purples, blue and maybe some green. Once these layers have set, you cut them into little squares. Then be very careful. You lift them out of their pans with a spatula. Be very careful about that part and place them on top of the batting. Oh, wow. Cool. How do you arrange them? Whatever pattern you like. But I don't know the patterns. Then invent one. I thought you were some kind of an artist or something. Don't you run some kind of artist organization? I'm, I'm, I'm not a visual artist. I'll pull up a picture. Don't tell me. On the computer. So that's it. Arrange the squares in a pattern like a postage stamp quilt. That's it. It's beautiful. Well, you could take some ready whip and shoot a border around the outside of the whole quilt, then cut it into serving size pieces. Thank you, Ruby, our local gross mommy. I think I'll make a huge postage stamp salad quilt and invite all my female friends over for a quilting bee. Thread, please. Wiggle! Sarah Yoder took the bishop's advice and started sewing bluebird designs into her quilts. Bluebirds of happiness, bluebirds singing on the fence, and bluebirds hatching eggs in their houses along the bike trail behind her house where the train used to run. But soon the bluebird houses had little stick figure cats sitting underneath them. The English buyers at the quilt show thought these figures primitive and charming driving up the prices on Sarah's quilts, putting more money into the Mennonite Relief Fund. The higher the prices, the more the bishop turned his head away. It's all for a good cause, he finally told himself. Hobo symbols bringing relief to starving people throughout the world. Sarah could have written the article in this month's Plain Interest about taking care of bluebirds. There's a piece by Elam Stolfus that explains that if you want bluebirds in the yard, you have to take care of them like pets. You need to clamp a bluebird house to an eight foot length piece of galvanized pipe and make sure it's at least 100 feet away from trees and bushes. This will help the bluebirds fight off unwanted competitors like tree swallows who will try to steal their home. And you must keep the bluebird houses themselves 100 feet apart. Bluebirds will compete with each other for housing. Bluebirds have two broods a year, one usually in April, the other by June. Once the bluebirds start to nest, check the houses once a week to keep out marauders. A bluebird's nest is woven into a neat cup filled with dry 
grass, hair, and pine needles. A house sparrow's nest is sloppy, full of dry grass, feathers, and trash. Pull out the sparrow's nest right away before it takes over the house. Bluebird eggs might disappear suddenly from a visit by a snake or all of Sarah's cats. And blowfly larvae are another menace that can harm the nestlings. To check for larvae, you need to slip a putty knife under the nest and look for the pests. If you find the critters, you need to first pull out the nestlings and place them in a box. Then discard the infested nest and clean up the house. Finally, you will have to make another nest of dry grass, molding it into a cup and placing the nestlings inside. When the first brood has flown away, clean out the house and place a handful of shavings or dry grass inside, ready for the second brood. Lots of work, but lots of fun watching those brightly colored birds singing on the fence and finding their way into a quilt to wow English and Amish alike at the once a year show in the Free Bull Gym. If you're interested in writing an article for plain interest, you need to follow the guidelines. Write or type plainly enough so we don't need to wonder what it says. Do not abbreviate. Be sure to read your letter or manuscript before mailing it. If you can't read it, we can't either. Double space, which means use only every other line. If you use every line, your materials may be returned. There is no maximum or minimum length for articles. Try to say what needs to be said in as few words as possible. Your letter or article must be signed. If there is a good reason you do not want your name signed, we will consider it. Please do not submit local news unless it is of general interest to most readers. Disclaimer. We believe the information given in this magazine is reliable. However, for your own good, you should consult a person qualified to give an opinion in that particular field before following any advice given herein. If it is medical advice, consult a doctor. If about food, consult a qualified nutritionist. If about a motor, consult a mechanic. If about machinery, consult a machinist. If about farming, consult your county agent. If about finances, see your banker. If about tax returns, consult your accountant. In the letters to the editor in plain interest, we often have simple safety tips. Here's one that caught my eye. Oh my, yet another account of a hand in the meat grinder? February issue. Who will be the next victim? Maybe me. A simple safety measure that we have found is to use a plastic water glass with the bottom just big enough so you can't push it into the grinder to push the meat down into the grinder. Of course, grinders vary in size, so you will have to use something that will fit your grinder. But whatever you do, never use your hand. So in the emergency please column, we have some answers this week to questions that were posed uh, last month. 
and I'm going to uh, read the answers, and you can figure out for yourselves what the questions were. Answer. To remove moles, I tried vinegar. Take a small swab of cotton, soak it with vinegar, and put it on the mole with a Band-Aid. Do this during the night only. Put new cotton with vinegar on every night two weeks. You should leave your skin free in the daytime or the Band-Aid will irritate your skin. Answer. We use basal essential oil to get our sense of smell back. Rub some under your nose and under your toes. I rub the whole foot from the tip of the toes to the heels. Do this twice a day. Answer. The ideal temperature for rendering lard is 310 degrees. Answer. To regain smell and taste, take 100 milligrams per day of zinc. And there you go. That will fix you up until next month. Now, we have some questions on the next page. And so I am going to read the questions and maybe you can help find the answers. Question. Does anybody have a copy of this song, Chorus? In all this world, we have our troubles. We all have a battle we must fight. Our brother's wrongs won't make our wrongs right. Let's have faith and follow the blessed light. Question. Does anyone know of a chemical-free spray that kills Japanese beetles? Question. What can I do to prevent my pie crust from sliding down when baking only the crust? Question. Is there help for cataracts other than surgery? Question. If you dry sunflower seeds, any kind, over the winter, will they grow when planted in the spring, or do we have to buy our seeds? Question. What causes hair loss among the Amish women and girls? I don't think it's always thyroid. You don't see hair loss on the non-Amish people. They have long, thick hair. So thank you to the Silver Trailer Girls, Monica Leo, Alita Murphy, and Laura Hudson Kittrell. I first performed with them in the old days when we were on stage as the Wild Women. And we're even wilder now that we're older. And so we're in our silver trailers and we're rocking. And that brings our episode to a close today. We want to thank our generous sponsors, especially the Warner Ellathorpe Fund from the Oregon Community Foundation. Also, the Calio Levine Fund that has sponsored one of our Farm to Artist residencies. And thanks to all of you who are hitting that donate button on our agarts.org website, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G. Just keep those buttons happy and popping. Thank you all for helping us out. Come